Well, hello, podcast listeners. I'm Adam Wright, and this is a special edition of the Roadmap to Heaven podcast, just for you, our podcast listeners. On Tuesday, March 8th, I gave a talk to some young adults about discipline, detachment, and gratitude. And this podcast is a special follow-up to that. You could say maybe some of our greatest hits here on Roadmap to Heaven. There's so much to choose from, but for sure some segments that are very specifically geared towards those themes of discipline, detachment, and gratitude. So with that, enjoy this special edition of the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. One of the questions I'm often asked is, Adam, what do you listen to when you are not on the radio? And aside from listening to the great programs here on Covenant Network, I like to listen to a a few podcasts from time to time. And one of my favorites is the U.S. Grace Force podcast with Father Rick Heilman and Doug Berry, both of whom have been on our show before, and it's always a joy to have one or both of them on. We're pleased to be joined by Father Rick Heilman all the way from Wisconsin, where I thought we had it cold here, but Father, I assume it's colder up there. And God love you for for being up with the people in Wisconsin and all the cold. Yeah, it's getting warmer, though, so we're surviving. Wonderful. Well, Father, we're about to start the season of Lent in just a few weeks. I mean, I, I was thinking about this yesterday, that I need to start thinking about what's my penance going to be, what's my prayer going to be, what's my almsgiving going to be for this season of Lent. And I was looking through my emails, and I, you know, my weekly, my Grace Force email came through, and it said, you have something unlocking the secret. And not only are you unlocking the secret, you're willing to share the secret. And so I want to start there. What is the secret that you want to share with our listeners as we get ready for the season of Lent? Let me say this first, Adam, and thanks for having me on. This is great. Um, But uh, let me say this first is I think this Lent is extraordinary in the sense that this Lent comes on the back of two brutal years, and that's the way I've been putting it lately, you know, with the virus and everything, and then all the politics, and and, and I've been calling out tyranny and all this stuff that we've been abused in a lot of ways. And, And so a lot of people... Uh, are looking for answers, and I am too, and I know you are. But, Adam, I, I believe this is the lesson I hope I'm learning through all this, is that I believe that this evil, and, and I call it demonic too, that kind of made its way in over the last two years, had an easy time of it. And the lesson I'm trying to learn from that, Adam, is that if that's true— that means we were weak. And what, what, what does that mean? And this is my assessment of what's going on, Adam, is I believe that I think we do religion well. And, uh, you know, I think I love all of our Catholic brothers and sisters. I think we do, we do religion pretty well. We want to make sure, you know, that we're going to church. And, and I think a lot of people, too, have learned that you want to keep your confessions tight, you know, maybe not go more than a month, try to pray a rosary. I think we do religion well. But this is what I'm seeing, Adam, in, in myself, and, and I think the vast majority of, again, these beautiful people, is that I think that uh, we have failed, and this is where we're weak, in getting truly intimate with God. And that's where I want us to go. And we can talk more about this, too, but as I have um, had a passion all my life, I, in my seminary days and all throughout my priesthood for spiritual direction. Um, I have come to some understandings through all that, 
obviously, too, through my 33 years of priesthood. But then to find out that Father Ripperger and this team that he has now, uh, Lieber Christo, they've come to similar conclusions, too. And that is that we're called to draw ourselves as near as we possibly can get to the Lord, and in that place is where we find true peace. And so, Adam, this is what I want to spend Lent on. And so, you know, we can... We can um, fill that out as we talk about that uh, during this hour, but uh, that that's where I'm coming from for this Lent. Well, Father, I want to go back to something you said at the beginning of all of this and, and tie it in to Father Ripperger. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with Father uh, Chad Ripperger, we play a, a few of his words every now and then on the show. He's someone I pay attention to when, when he speaks, and, and I would encourage you to do the same. Uh, he is an exorcist, and he deals with the demonic pretty much every day, and I do not. And so I want to pay attention when he speaks. But, Father, you said at the beginning that these past two years have just been brutal. Right. And that's something that I, I think, you know, when we look at tactics, if you want to, if you want to advance on something, if, if, if you want to advance upon the enemy, well, what do you want to do? You want to get them to a place where they are shaken up, where they're not aware, right. where they're, they're, they're not at peak performance. Right. You know, I, I think of games of chess I play with my friend. I, I always do better when I can keep him on his toes. Right. And these past two years have really messed with our daily routines. They have uh, really thrown us off our, our, our balance, if, if you will. But why I bring this up, it's not like we're going to you as the guru. Father, Father Rick Heilman is not I the no guru. guru. Uh, we're not looking <laughs> for a good way among many. We're looking for the truth. Right. And the truth is, this is more than just self-help or, right. um, you know, centering or fathers unlock the secret to peace. This is this is real stuff we're dealing with that the devil wants to drag us down, and keep us from getting to heaven. So, Father, let's let's start with that. You have sent this out, unlocking the secret to peace. You you brought up Father Chad Ripperger. Um, you talk about the daily things that we should be doing. And and you say, to be clear, the practices Father Ripperger and you are referring to are not just some among many that a Catholic may pick and choose from. No, we are referring to the baseline best practices revealed by God through Mary and the saints. That makes these the most pleasing to God. So, Father, what are those baseline practices that we should all be doing every day? Well, it's a great question. And, you know, what we're talking about here, Adam, is like you say, baseline, but the the basic, or I call them the best practices of our Catholic faith. That you listen, I, I look at our I love the Catholic Church. I love the Catholic faith. Uh, just this morning during my sermon, I said it again because I say it so often. But you know, it's like opening a treasure chest and and looking at all these jewels, and and you just want to pick another one up and 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 just to cherish it. And so, so there is a rich tradition in our Catholic faith. Um, but what we're talking about here is the very basics of that, or the foundation, or the starting place uh, for practicing our faith. And it's the way, Adam, that the saints all prayed. I put it this way, too. It's the way our great-grandparents prayed. Um, it's the way they related to God. And we've, we kind of lost that uh, over the—and that's what I talk about, too. I, I think we got caught vulnerable and weak 
And I think if if anything, these last two years has revealed, and I wonder if it wasn't God's divine will uh, to just allow this to help us to understand that, okay, you know, you're treading water here. Let's get you back to to what what I really want you to be doing, okay? And so uh, you asked for specifics here. Let's start out with, you know, Catholics, we got to go to church, okay? That's a basic thing, right? You, you can't, the, uh, I think we've, um, we've become a culture, haven't we, where uh, we can kind of pick and choose. Uh, I think, too, we've gone through a period of time in our church where uh, we got told that, well, you know, let your conscience be your guide. Like, like our conscience has greater authority than God, you know. Uh, of course, the thing that was most used for was contraception. But, you know, and, and so from that, you can go to, you know, if it's contraception, well, then it's this, 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 and this. And that includes going to Mass. And you, you'll hear people going, well, you know, I don't have to prove my love to God. And he knows I love him. You know, kind of thing like that. And And so we get out of what God loves the most, what God, what pleases God the most. And, and I'm saying it like that. You know I'm saying it like that? Because when you're in love with God, you want to do it his way. And then, and I always say this scripture passage, too, that I love. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and find light burdensome, and you'll, you'll find rest for your soul. And then he says this, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. I'm going, wait a minute, carrying your cross? You know, standing up against the evil, you know, speaking up, that's easy. Well, it is. When you love someone, it's your utter joy. And, and you love making sacrifices for the one you love. That's what Jesus meant by my yoke is easy and my burden light. And so, so this is the place God wants us. He wants us in that place where, well, of course I go to church. I love that expression. Well, of course, of course, because I love him. And, and he, he wants me to come and receive him, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the, in the Holy Eucharist, and to worship him with great awe and wonder and reverence. Then you, you go on to the other basic one is, you know, go to confession, but, but keep them tight. You know what I don't do anymore, speaking of confession? I don't do communal penance services anymore. And I love everything about communal penance services, but the one thing that got me stopped doing it is it conditioned us to go once, maybe twice a year. And, and I've been a priest for 33 years, and I've just watched this. And no, 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 no. we got to go at least once a month because that keeps us disciplined. That keeps us in love. That keeps that grace strong. That keeps us from falling into that major sin. If we can come and just stay tight and clean, get cleaned up after, you know, just a, a few weeks. I go, you know, I have a confessional in my front uh, vestibule of my house here, Adam, and I invite anybody to come to confession. Well, every once in a while I get a priest to come that wants to come here, and I, I'm on the other side, and I go, uh, and when he's done, I go, hey, can I go too, Father? So, <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I get the pizza delivery confession, so <laughs> that's, the, that's how God's blessed me for putting together what I call my 24-7 confessional. I get, I get confession delivered, you know, but anyways, but uh, so I end up going, you know, maybe even uh, once a week or even less than that, uh, but I want to do that because I just want to I just want to tidy up and and make sure it's it's all uh, nice and and clean for the for the guest that's coming here. Remember the story of Martha and Mary. You know, he was in the he was in their living room, the second person in the Holy Trinity. I want him in the in the room of my 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 heart, my soul, and so I want to I want to um, welcome in the best way. So we're going to mass, non-negotiable. Yep. 
We're right. going to confession at least once a month, keeping things tidy so yep. that we can avoid, hopefully, God willing, uh, grave sin. What's yep. next? Yeah, so now, again, I'm framing this as this is how the saints prayed. So there's, you know, there's all kinds of litanies and novenas and devotions. and So, you know, again, it's a treasure chest. But these are the ones that they just wouldn't let a day go by without doing. And so, and again, our great-grandparents prayed this way too. So let's go um, to start with the morning offering. We've got to get in that habit. There's the beautiful traditional prayer of morning offering. The one I do is very traditional. You actually kiss your um, scapular at one point during that short little prayer. It's just a little paragraph. And so I start the day out that way. Then the other one I incorporate too, and again, the saints, uh, great-grandparents, uh, is the Angelus. And, and so 6 o'clock in the morning, 12 noon, and, um, and 6 at night. And we, <laughs> I live next door to uh, church bells, and my walls shake when the bells go off. But we have the Angelus bells go off at those times. And, and so I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, and, and if I miss 6 or 12 or 6 p.m., uh, you know, if it's 7 p.m., I go, oops. And so I'll do it then. But I, but I, I don't want to do that constantly. I want to be disciplined. See, what we're de- developing here is discipline so that God is always there. You know, it, and I want to stop here and just say, these are vocal prayers, okay? And we don't want to get too pharisaical about this because we're, we're having these readings uh, lately, too, about, you know, you got to do it this way, the rules, and that. that's not what we're talking about here, okay? Uh, what we're talking about is God revealed these particular ones through Mary and the saints, these are the ones that the saints always prayed, and so I love you, and I just, I, I've been calling um, God the Father, Abba, I've been calling him Dad, yeah, because that's the modern translation of Abba, and, and so I, I'll say this to everyone, so, Dad, are you proud of me? You know, how am I doing, Dad? You know, and, and so I talk to him like that, and, and that's what these prayers are about. You know, Dad, you revealed it, so Dad, I, I want to do it your way. And so these are the baseline um, ones. So, and then also you want to get that rosary in. And for families, you're going, when am I going to fit that in? I got to, well, get your family together and do the rosary together. It's beautiful. Uh, you actually can get a plenary indulgence for doing a, a rosary with your family. And I love the rosary. I call it the umbilical cord. It gets us tied in with the Blessed Mother. You know, the Blessed Mother is such a great gift. There's a beautiful image of Mary where she comes to the uh, edge of heaven and meets us with our prayer. And she, she puts out a golden platter, and she says, here, put it here. And then she dresses it up, fixes it up, and then she turns and walks over to the throne of God and says, do this for Father Rick, will you? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so she's just a beautiful gift for all of us. And I think uh, we have male figures in our Trinity, and that's awesome. But uh, to have that, that feminine motherly tender figure that's caring for us and pleading our cause and i call her the defense attorney you know they're always sticking up for us and, um, so you want to get close in you please god so much when you're close into the blessed mother so so that's the other one you want to pray grace at meals and you know sometimes people are embarrassed in in restaurants don't be 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 very proud you know and and let people notice and go wow, I guess there is a, such a thing as spiritual people. I mean, you don't want to do it to build your brand, but be okay with that. Get in the habit of praying grace at all your meals. Um, and then uh, the other is at the, when you end your day, 
just take like three minutes at the end of your day and, and just say, like I just said before, are you proud of me, Dad? In essence, that's what you're doing. You're, you're just doing an examination of conscience real quick. How did I do? Here's where I messed up. Okay, life is a classroom. I'm going to do better tomorrow. I messed up there. And, uh, and, and then what do, you, what do we got on tap tomorrow, God? But you just take that quick time before you go to bed to just reflect a little bit. Um, so those are the vocal prayers that we call those. And those are the ones that he's revealed the most, you know, and, and again, the ones the saints started with. You start with these. You can add the novenas and the litanies and all the devotions and that all you want, but you don't want to leapfrog over these to those. Get these going first That's and, right. and then add on from there. That's right. Well, Father, I, I want to pause here. Uh, we've been going for a bit. Let's stop here and take a break yeah. for our listeners. When we come back, friends, we're going to keep talking with Father Rick Heilman about uh, 90 Days to Peace. That's the next component of this as we get ready for the season of Lent and beyond. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. Consecration to Mary. My queen and my mother, I give myself entirely to you. And to show my devotion to you, I consecrate to you this day my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my heart, my whole being without reserve. Wherefore, good mother, as I am your own, keep me, guard me, as your property and possession. Amen. Well, we are back. We're talking today with Father Rick Heilman. And before the break... Father was so gracious to lay the foundation for us. And if you're just tuning in, here's the foundation of our prayer life, handed down to us from the Blessed Mother, the saints, our Lord, through the church, and, and as Father said, how our grandparents and great-grandparents used to pray. Right. Number one, go to Mass, non-negotiable. Number two, confession, at least once a month. Three, the prayers we should be praying every day, the morning offering, the Angelus, the daily rosary, grace before meals— and then at the end of the day, you know, take about three minutes to do that examination of conscience. Now, Father, these are all well and good, but I want to go into the next thing you wrote about. And, and when we spoke to set up this interview, uh, what we kind of talked about is really the key to all of this, is this is not, again, just something like getting on the exercise bike or going to the, the weights at the gym, that if you do uh, 10 reps, you know, three sets of 10 right. reps— Every day, this is going to happen, and you don't have to think about it. You know, when you right. go to the gym and lift weights, you just lift. Now, right. we could pray these prayers every day without thinking about it, without going any deeper than that. And I suppose, you know, that would still affect some good. But if we really want to go and build upon this foundation, we've got to go deep into our head and deep into our heart. Yes. And, and that's the message you want to bring for this season of Lent. Yeah, so I wanted to cover the vocal prayers first. And I'll bet you money that a lot of listeners are going, well, I do those, you know, and and a lot of us do. And maybe not as disciplined as we should, so that's a key thing here. We want to take this time to get disciplined in this, you know, not some, some days and some the other day. So that's the key with these. And, again, these are the baseline vocal prayers that, that God uh, is, I say, most pleased because he has revealed these through Mary and the saints, and it's the way that the saints prayed. Okay, so we got that. Now, here's what we're doing that is very, very key during Lent. We're going to a place where I believe a lot of people haven't gone, and that is we're going to be praying what's called mental prayer. And every saint became a saint because they got into or they were 
diligent with what's called mental prayer. Now, what is mental prayer? Here's the way I put it. Think of the scene of Martha and Mary. The second person, the Holy Trinity, is in the living room, okay? Now, Martha is over in the kitchen, and, you know, okay, we got a guest, and we get, let's do a little appetizer, and, you know, and i got to get ready because I'm hospitality. And noble, very noble. Yeah, not you know, not the, a bad want, thing. Not right? a bad thing, right. But what, what's going on? The second person of the Holy Trinity is in their home. And so Mary is like, she gets that. So she gets as close as she can appropriately get. She's at the feet of Jesus. She's staring into his eyes. She's hanging on his every word. I mean, she's like frozen because she's in such awe of being in the presence of the second person of the Holy Trinity. It's a big deal for her. She stops. And then all of a sudden you hear Martha go, Hey, can you tell Mary to help me over here? And then what does Jesus say to her? Martha, Martha, and everybody listen to this, you're anxious and upset about many things. What is he pointing to? Let's stop there and talk about the last two years again. We're anxious and upset about many things. The other image I'll use, too, is, is the storm. And Jesus is walking on water toward them in the storm. And, and, and Peter's like, well, if you, you tell me, Lord, and it gets out of the boat. Peter's walking on the water in the storm. But then what happens? Peter takes his laser-focused eyes off of the Lord, starts putting his eyes on the storm, and then he starts to sink. What's the message there? Okay, that we need to keep that focus on the Lord. And even when we face the storms of our lives, we won't be as anxious and upset about many things that Jesus pointed to Martha about. And then he says about Mary, he, he says that Mary has chosen the better part or the good part, but Mary has chosen the unum necessarium in Latin, the one thing necessary. That, that's how I want to bring this home, Adam, is that I believe we've been missing the one thing necessary, the unum necessarium. I want to make t-shirts, the unum necessarium t-shirts. We've been missing the one thing necessary. Have we been stopping? That's what mental prayer is all about. It starts out with this ancient introductory prayer. Again, it's like two or three sentences. And then it closes with another uh, beautiful closing ancient prayer, two or three sentences. But the middle part is just, I, I like how the words silent and listen are use the same letters. But but that's what we're doing. And And I tell people, Set aside 15 minutes. You can go longer if you want, but you gotta you got to do at least 15 minutes where you're doing the merry thing, where you're at his feet, where you're just making that divine connection, and you're communicating. But what do you want to tell him? You know, what, what, what's on your heart right now? And, 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 then, and then stop and just listen and let him speak to your heart during that time. You see what I'm saying here, Adam, is I think we're doing religion pretty well. I think we're checking the boxes. I think we're fulfilling the job description pretty well. But what, you know, let me stop with job description. I think what happens is there, then we have that kind of cold and personal relationship that we have maybe with our boss, you know, where 
okay, I, I got the duties that I got to fulfill in order to get the payment. Well, what's the payment? Well, good luck. All right. You know, or you know, maybe I uh, think if I do this, then he won't club me over the head or the devil won't get me. Uh, you know, that, that we shouldn't do it for those. We should do it because we love him. Okay. We love him. Let me end by saying this. The, the, my sermon this morning, because that just popped in my head, was me saying, you know, I, I I used to be really involved with the charismatic renewal, and I'm going to get back in, but but here's why I I kind of left because all these self-proclaimed prophets emerged, and they were receiving from the Holy Spirit, and and then dictating to everyone else what the Holy Spirit wants them to do, and I was like, I'm out of here, <laughs> you know. But then let's look at traditionalism. I just got done talking about Catholic Church is awesome. It's a treasure chest and the baubles. But some traditionals are like, well, you, you don't, you, your mass is worse than our mass, and you're a heretic. And I'm like, I, I, I want to, that, that's, see, that's repugnant. But what happens when we get at the feet of our Lord is that all just melts away. And all we want to do is, like I said before, Daddy, are you proud of me? Dad, or Jesus, my brother, you know, what, what can I do? Because I love you. I, you know, when you fall in love with someone, you're just like beside yourself. You get you take yourself out, and you put yourself to that person that you're in love with, and you're going. It is not about me. It's about you. What what can I do? And again, and not because I'm going to lose my wages because I'm not filling the job description, right? No, it's love. And so you, you get excited. That's why too, uh, Adam. We're ending at the Feast of the Visitation. <laughs> and think about that. Elizabeth's like, how is it that the mother of my Lord is here? And then John the Baptist leaps in, his, in her womb. And then Mary's like, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. You know, they're just so, they're beside themselves. They're just so in love with the Lord that all they want to do is what the Lord wants them to do. But when we're doing the job description thing, we're like, well, you know, I don't really have to prove my love for him. You know, and, <laughs> see what I'm saying? And I'm out here in the kitchen making appetizers for the the guest that's over there in the living room. I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, right no, now, you know, but, Father, I was, you're, you're making great sense because I was yeah. thinking about this this week. It, you know, my wife's birthday is today, and I was telling the Aww. kids yesterday that, you know, when we get home, because she worked yesterday, when we get home, we're going to make sure we clean up the dining room table really well and underneath it, and, and we're going to clean up the living room so that on Mommy's birthday... She can just enjoy the day. She doesn't have to be running around and picking up all of these things. And I think and that's it, not hard, though, right, because right. you just love doing it. And, and, and they said, oh, Dad, why do you always make us clean? I said, listen, this time it's not about the wrath of Dad. It, it's about you love right. your mom, right? And they're like, right. oh, yeah, we love Mommy. I said, this is the best, trust me, this is the best birthday present you can get her. And we're going to, you know, we've got gifts for her, too. Yeah. But having it so that she doesn't have to be anxious about these things and can just enjoy right. being with those she loves. It's a great thing. Now, Father, I have to interrupt you here because you said we're going till the Feast of the Visitation with this, but we haven't told our listeners specifically what this is. It's, it's been right. like a big tease. So yeah. starting with Lent, yes. you have 90 days to peace, and the whole point is to do this, to, to go into this mental prayer and, and really yes. build upon all these foundational practices. So yeah, what so specifically what I do developed... we have going on? Yep. So I am a I'm a nuts and bolts person. I don't want to herd cats, you know, as they say. I'm a nuts and bolts. So I said, you know what? Let's make this easy peasy. And so what I did, Adam, is I put together and I worked on this for the last five months. But I put together and I made it really beautiful, but a journal. And I call it the Peace Through Strength Prayer Journal. 
and it, it's leather and it's got the gold inlay and it's got the gold edge pages because I, you know, I I think this is a big deal and I want this to I don't want it just to be another journal that you might want to think about no 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 we learned from the last two years that we were doing religion and we were Martha out in the kitchen we got to get at the feet of Jesus that's what we're doing and so this is big Adam I've been calling this the culmination of my priesthood because I I, I feel like I've been beating around the bush we all have. And I feel like this is getting us exactly where we need to be. So we start the date. I counted the days, and it's amazing. uh, Ash Wednesday is March 2nd. So if you start counting the day after Ash Wednesday, 90 days out, you land on May 30th, which is the day before the Feast of the Visitation. So uh, you have Ash Wednesday and the Feast of the Visitation are the bread of the sandwich. And then our 90 days is the meat. And so, and we already have thousands and thousands of people geared up for this. Um, you can get your journal at RomanCatholicGear.com. They carry my stuff, but it, it's just beautiful. And every that's what we're doing right now is we're just getting ready. And when you get your journal, you can read the introduction. I got a little preface introduction on how the how the journal works, and it, it makes it all crystal clear what we're doing here. Um, with that first part, so you can do that up. But I tell people half jokingly, I say, don't cheat. Yeah, we got to start together on March 3rd. And then what we're going to be doing is just, like I say, we're going to do the merry thing. And I have a little checkbox, too, every day of taking care of those things like morning prayer and, and the Angelus. And it's only four things. Uh, what is it? The morning prayer, the Angelus, rosary, and bedtime prayers. And uh, those are the ones for sure. But there's others. You know, you want to go to confession. You want to go to Mass. You want to pray your uh, grace before meals. You know, there's those, too. But, you know, just make sure we get these in a habit, those four that I just mentioned. But then we're going to make sure that we stop. And we start with 15 minutes. People can go longer if they want, but I do recommend nothing less than 15 minutes because we just need to settle down in our lives. It takes a little bit to do that. And and to just get in that quiet, you know, um, uh, solitude with our Lord. And, and so so that's what we're doing. Is And, and so we're going to be doing mental prayer, which... Unfortunately, very few of us have been taught or encouraged to do in our Catholic faith over all these years. We've got the vocal prayers uh, taught to us, but not so much the stopping and doing the merry thing. Uh, so, uh, and the other thing that I encourage too in there is adoration. You know, and and I say if you can't get uh, to a scheduled time for adoration, just come a little earlier, stay a little late. Uh, for Mass. The tabernacle's right there. It's beautiful if we can have our Lord exposed in the monstrance, but but our Lord is still there in the tabernacle. And our great-grandparents, you know what they used to do? They couldn't go by a church without stopping in for a chapel visit. So see, they knew all this stuff. We lost it. The other thing I encourage, too, is fasting. Fasting gives the underdog the victory. You know, add that in, wherever the Lord is calling you to do that. See, these are the basics. This is the basic protocol. And again, these are the things that Father Ripiger and the Liber Christo, Liber Christo means freedom through Christ, uh, have come to understand, heals all that Martha upset and anxious about everything. You know, people come to Father Ripiger and his team, and they're going, geez, it's, you know, my, my anxiety is so high, I feel like I'm being demonically tormented. What's going on here? And they'll get them into this discipline of this baseline protocol, and it heals like 80% of them, he said, uh, just through that, because they're getting close into the Lord. And I like to say it's also the place where the devil fears to tread. 
if you're tight into the Lord, you know, if you've got his arms around you and you're doing, you know, you're, you're trying to have that intimate, real love relationship with the Lord, not a, oh yeah, I love the Lord, kind of Martha kind of thing. No, you're, you're locked in, you're in love. It's the devil just won't go there, you know? Well, but, exactly. But, I mean, I think, I think of my kids sitting on my lap when, you know, they've got a special treat, you know, maybe they got a cookie or something like that. They're worried that that sibling's going to take the cookie from them. They right. know that if they draw close to daddy, great that, that, image. Cookie, that cookie is safe. That's a great <laughs> image. Yep, that's exactly it. it. And so it's a place to, you just feel safe because when, when your kid is in, in your lap, the kid's like, nothing can touch me, you know, because dad's got me. And that's that's what God the Father wants too is is to have us in that place. But we can choose to be away, and and anything away is the devil's realm. You know, you're either you're in the Father's arms because you're choosing, uh, and you're accepting His call to be in His arms, or the only other place you are is out where the devil is, so he can easily manipulate you or torment you. And unfortunately, Adam, we see a lot of people who are manipulated by the devil. In other words, they're they're easy pickings for his lies, right? I mean, look what's being you know thrown into our culture right now. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, because when you're separated from God like that, it's like you know you believe just about anything the devil throws at you, and that's where we are right now. And we and again, this is what I learned from from the last two years. Uh, we were easy pickings, we were vulnerable, we were, you know, and the devil just waltzed in and took over and said, sit down and shut up. Well, Father, we could go on all day, and that would be a privilege. I would love to go on all day talking with you about this and many things. Unfortunately, we are against the constraints of right. time here. So, friends, the, the mission is, it, we've talked about a lot, but it's, it's indeed very simple. Have the foundation, again, go to Mass, go to Confession, Morning Offering, Angelus, Daily Rosary, pray grace before meals, and do an examination of conscience at the end of the day before you go to bed. Build upon that with mental prayer. As Father Heilman uh, says in his email, quoting St. Francis de Sales, Cor ad cor loquitur, heart speaks to heart. Get your heart in tune and in touch with our It's meant to be accessible to a seven-year-old. It it is. But we just haven't been... Uh, pushing it and or making people aware of it. So I, I'm so excited, Adam. I am too. I, I've, I've already I, ordered my journal. Nice. And it's on the way. They're so beautiful. <laughs> well, Father Rick Heilman, I want to thank you for being with us. Right. Again, friends, if you want to get your peace through strength, uh, did I say that correctly here, Father? Yeah, peace through strength, peace through strength journal. Prayer journal, romancatholicgear.com. By the way, I, I have to say I have one of Father Heilman's rosaries. Oh, yeah, I my keep it combat in my pocket rosary. Every day, and it's the rosary I use when I pray for you, our listeners. Um, you know, it's I, based on a World War One military rosary that, uh, issued by the government. So it's so cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's the rosary I carry. Here. Father, yeah. Father, could I ask you to close our time together with a prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We've got a little bit more to get to today. Stay tuned. A prayer for greater love of Jesus. O my Jesus, thou knowest well that I love thee, but I do not love thee enough. O grant that I may love thee more. O love that burnest ever and never failest, my God, thou who art charity itself, 
enkindle in my heart that divine fire which consumes the saints and transforms them into thee. Amen. May the sacred heart of Jesus be loved in every place. We are back in this week before Lent, really week and a half. We are still thinking about what our sacrifices will be. And I don't know about you, friends, but one of the issues I have is staring temptation down in the face. The years that I give up candy or cookies or something like that, and I see my kids walking around with candy or cookies or something like that, I just don't know what to do. So we're going to talk about temptation today. And here to help us with that, we are joined by Father Wade Menezes of the Fathers of Mercy. Father, always a joy to speak with you. Well, thank you, Adam. It's great to be back with you. I enjoy our, our goodwill bantering back, on for, back and forth on these wonderful church teachings. It, it's always a joy to dive deep into these. But, Father, I have a real-life scenario for you. This happened in our office yesterday. I have been thinking about all of the time I waste playing around on my smartphone. In fact, I saw something today that said that is the, the slothful activity of our times, is just playing around wasting time. Now, whether it's social media in my case, it's a lot of games, um, streaming movies or videos, all things that are probably amoral. I mean, I'm not using it to view pornography. I'm not using it to gossip or to spread misinformation about people. Um, I'm just wasting time. So I'm debating just acquiring a simple flip phone for the season of Lent, something to receive phone calls, voicemail, and text messages, and that's it, and putting my phone away. And someone in the office said, you know, Adam, that's good, but that seems like a cop-out because you're just you're removing the temptation entirely. Why don't you just maintain the discipline not to use those games or those streaming videos or whatnot on your phone and really grow in discipline? And I said, well, lucky for me, we're going to be talking with Father Wade. So, Father, let's dive into this. What do we need to know about temptation Okay, great, great series of questions. First of all, what might be appropriate for one person where they are at in their virtue, growth, or lack thereof may not be the same spot where another person is at, okay, in their growth of virtue or lack thereof. This is the beauty of the spiritual life, acknowledging that we are all different, huh? And we see this in the lives of the saints, okay? So for one person, it may be good to begin the process of detachment, which is really what this is all about. Begin the process of dis detachment by actually changing for this beautiful 40-day period of Lent, the literal type of phone you have. But for another person, beginning that beautiful detachment may be with the reality of just changing the current settings on their current phone, okay? And that's not a cop-out answer that it's a both-and reality. That's the truth, okay? We are all at different levels, okay? And that's the beauty of this. So I, I want to begin by defining detachment. As St. Thomas Aquinas, the master, right? And then this will lead us into the discussion on temptation. St. Thomas teaches that detachment is loving persons, places, and things the way God intends us to love them. How beautiful is that? Detachment is loving persons, places, and things. In other words, nouns. A noun is a person, place, or thing, right? Uh, detachment is loving persons, places, and things the way God intends us to love them. Do you love the internet? 
in an appropriate way? Or do you let the internet uh, draw you into areas that you do not want to be drawn into? Do you let the, uh, uh, the, the, the wonderful, refreshing beer on a hot summer's day uh, be used accordingly to, to refresh one on that hot summer's day, especially after um, uh, doing a, a big task of physical labor outside, maybe a family project or something? Or does that love for beer become uh, five or six a night on a regular basis that leads one to be to grow to become a brute towards his children and his wife uh, what, what's appropriate for one may not be appropriate for another what's not appropriate for one may not may be appropriate for another it just depends where the person is at okay notice that this theological definition of detachment does not negate the existence of love in fact according to st. Thomas Aquinas detachment is precisely about loving things properly Okay, so the husband and wife, uh, the husband with a wife and children at home, who's uh, head of a, of, a, of a company and the CEO of that company, does he love his administrative secretary the way he should love her as a professional? Because a boss is called to love his secretary. Or is he flirting with her? Is he loving her in an inordinate way, a way that is out of order, as opposed to loving his secretary in an ordered way, in a way that is properly ordered? Okay, so the faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love in regards to the three theological virtues, okay? In other words, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is this, self-indulgence and compulsive behaviors are not expressions of authentic human freedom, and we are self-deceived if we think they are, okay? And keep in mind that the wife and the children at home truly, sincerely, authentically could know nothing about this, this flirting that the husband and father is doing in the workplace with his administrative secretary. They can know nothing about it. And yet that doesn't make it right. Or how about this? She could be accepting his overtures of the flirting. It still doesn't make it right. He's not loving her in an appropriate way that is properly ordered in regards to a life of the pursuance of virtue and virtue itself. And all that said, we are all called to love persons, places, and things, things like that beer, okay, or that smartphone, but do we love the thing accordingly? Now, this definition of detachment now leads us to the discussion of temptation. Uh, just a brief definition of temptation, according to sound Catholic spirituality. Um, in, in Catholic Christian usage, temptation refers to any incitement or enticement to sin arising from one or more of three sources— the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, now let's look at each one of these. The world, that is the actions or inducements of others made to one. Okay, uh, the flesh, uh, that is one's own weaknesses and desires. Huh? And thirdly, the devil, that is suggestions made to one by the fallen angels or by a fallen angel. According to sacred scripture, God allowed us or allows us uh, to be tempted, but never beyond our powers to resist with the help of his sanctifying grace, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And indeed, the very trial of temptation provides the occasion for one's moral and spiritual growth, uh, fidelity to the practices of the faith and perseverance in prayer, and, and this on a daily basis, uh, monthly basis with confession, for example, uh, afford the chief means by which one is strengthened against temptation. So, 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 to, so to wrap that up, temptation regards any solicitation to sin, that is a moral evil, right? Whether by persuasion or offering some pleasure to the individual, that, that, that's illicit, that's, that's uh, inordinate, 
uh, in itself, and, and the person has thus an inordinate love for the pleasure, the thing, the person, uh, or, or the place. It may arise from the world, the flesh, or the devil. Temptation from the world is simply the attractiveness of bad example and the psychological pressure to conform, or, or I should say, or the psychological pressure to conform. Temptations from the flesh are the urges of concupiscence, which is that tendency towards sin, quote unquote, that's what concupiscence is, the tendency towards sin, which comes to us because of the original sin. So remember, even though baptism wipes away the original sin per se that we inherit from our first parents, the effects of original sin remain. And that's with an E, not an A. I'm not saying effects regarding the affections. I'm talking about effects. Even though baptism wipes away the original sin, the effects of original sin remain in this fallen, broken, wounded world, okay? So temptations from the flesh are the urges of concupiscence, that is, that tendency toward sin and temptation, whether carnal or spiritual, where man's fallen nature has built in tendencies to the seven capital sins. Uh, temptations from, from the devil or demonic temptations arise from insti instigations by the evil spirit, whose method really is to encourage every form of avarice or, or selfishness, because those are the two main things that go against authentic love and uh, against authentic human freedom, in order to lead one, for example, into pride, or, and, and through pride, <laughs> all other sins. This is why pride is often called the capital of the seven capital sins. Uh, pride is often listed at the very top of that list, okay? So that, that's important to know, too. Um, so yeah, so we need a, 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 a properly grounded detachment, that is, loving persons, places, and things the way God intends us to love them. And then that helps us to stay away from temptation and to understand the reality of temptation, because the effects of original sin remain. And then we stay on the right track through daily ascetical practices and some monthly ascetical practices, like, like um, you know, I said, monthly confession, weekly Eucharist, uh, making a morning offering, uh, five decades of the rosary a day. I, I like to recommend one chaplet of divine mercy a day. Uh, the chaplet and the rosary can be prayed by yourself, or preferably if you're if you're married with your spouse and/or with your children who are still at home. How about fasting on Fridays, you know, or or on a Wednesday? Remember, every Friday is a day of penitential observance. It's the it's the Fridays during Lent that we abstain from meat, and it's Ash Wednesday and Good Friday that we both fast and abstain. All that said, the remaining what. 48, 47 Fridays of the year are all days of penitential observance. We should, we should pull back on something on Fridays. It could be abstinence from meat. That's, that would be fine. Uh, it could be fasting itself. But uh, how about fasting from the internet on Fridays? How about um, fasting from arguing and bickering, you know? Um, how about uh, the monthly confession? I mentioned that. How about the two daily examinations of conscience? Uh, the particular exam at midday and the, the end of the day examination of conscience, which is called the general exam. And you close each one with an act of contrition. Two, two examinations of conscience a day just to see how your day went. Um, how about saying the short, fervent aspiration prayers throughout the day, like Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I love you, save souls. My guardian angel, protect me. Uh, most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on me. Immaculate heart of Mary, pray for me. The, these little short, fervent aspiration prayers in the, in the older theological books, they're called the ejaculatory prayers. 
um, you know, we want to we want to bring these these short aspiration ejaculatory prayers into our life because we get into the habit of saying them regularly to protect us from temptation. You know, my guardian angel protect me, etc. And and how about the use of sacramentals for crying out loud? How about a holy water font by your door in your house that gets used the most, so that when you exit your house and come back into your home, you can bless yourself with holy water, which is all about what reminding ourselves of our baptism in Christ. How about wearing the, the religious medal of the patron saint of your baptismal name, or the, the, wearing the religious medal of your confirmation, a patron saint? So there's all kinds of things we can do to, to sustain us in this proper detachment, which is about loving in an ordered way as opposed to loving in a disordered way, because all of this protects us from temptation. Father, as you say that, here's here's what I'm thinking immediately is this is great. And this is the kind of stuff that I thrive on. This is the ideal that I aspire to. It, it's stirring me up and I am I'm ready to tackle this. However, I realize that there are certain things that when we talk about that proper detachment, and you said earlier on it's a both and. Sometimes it's about just removing it entirely, removing the opportunity to be tempted. Sometimes it's about that discipline to say, listen, I can just not use these apps on my phone, going back to um, that consideration. I would imagine humility plays a large part of this. And also, really what we pray when we pray the rosary, when we pray the Our Father, lead us not into temptation, is a factor in this. Should we be, first question here, should we be ashamed if we have the self-knowledge to say, listen, that is a great ideal, but I know that if I have this phone or if I have this object, this person, place, or thing in front of me, I am going to be so tempted. I am going to have a hard time not giving in. It would be better for me to remove myself from the situation. Is that something to be ashamed of? Absolutely not, because it shows superb self-knowledge. And St. Thomas Aquinas teaches literally, capital L, literally, that good self-knowledge is the first step needed to grow in holiness, to grow in personal sanctity. And then he goes on to define self-knowledge. He says self-knowledge is simply this, knowing and admitting your virtues to be able to grow in them. And secondly, self-knowledge is about the other extreme, knowing and admitting your vices to begin to be able to uproot them out of your life. Well, those are two great primary categories of what self-knowledge is. But remember, show me a a room full of 20 people, and there will be 20 different variations of those virtues and of those vices. You can have 10 of the people suffering from the same vice, 10 of the same people having the same natural virtue, maybe patience, for example, but they're all at different levels. Okay, so good self-knowledge is what's needed to grow in holiness. Now, remember that three principal categories from whence sin comes to us, or I should say from whence temptation comes to us, going back to temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, we need to remember the three categories of sin, and I don't mean mortal and venial. That's Those are the two parent categories of sin once you've committed the sin. It's either venial or mortal. But as far as the sins of malice, which reside in or stem from the will, why? Because they're malicious sins. You will to do this. You will to purposely um, uh, manipulate the financial books of the of the, the Forbes 500 company you work for uh, to be able to to make twenty five thousand dollars more a year. You know, on your paycheck. That that's malicious. It, it, sins of malice reside in or stem from the will. Okay. In fact, Psalm number seven tells us very hauntingly: uh, Here is one who is pregnant with malice. He conceives evil in his mind and he brings forth lies to others. I mean, that's pretty haunting. You know, and yet there's 
people like that who are out there. Number two of the three categories from whence sin comes are sins of ignorance. These reside in or stem from the intellect insofar as one's intellect is not informed that such and such an action is a sin when the intellect should be informed that such and such an action is a sin, right? And then lastly, and herein comes the, the main thing like the cell phone and what else, whatever else, you know, the, the beer, etc., the extra beer, um, sin, sins of weakness reside in or stem from the passions, emotions, and feelings. And it's interesting that in the, in the universal catechism of the Catholic Church, in the moral section of the catechism, all three of those terms are used as synonyms, each one to the other two passions, emotions, and feelings all mean the same thing. So again, sins of malice reside in or stem from the will. You will to do the evil. Sins of ignorance reside in or stem from the intellect, insofar as the intellect is not informed when it should be informed that such an action, doing such an action is sinful. And number three, sins of weakness reside in or stem from the passions, emotions, and feelings, insofar as the passions, emotions, and feelings are not well balanced. They, they lead to extremes in the person's life. And this brings us to the seven capital sins. Each of the seven capital sins has an opposite extreme. And so, for example, there's pride, but there's also self-loathing. There's greed one of the seven capital sins, but there's also the opposite of greed, which is wastefulness. There's lust, but there's also prudishness, being a prude of things towards, towards uh, human sexuality. There's anger, one of the seven capital sins, but then there's also servility, being too servile and let people walk all over you, huh? There's gluttony, but there's also deficiency. Think of anorexia nervosa, for example. There's envy, but there's also timidity or cowardice. There's sloth, the seventh of the seventh capital sin of the seven capital sins. There's sloth, but there's also the opposite extreme, which, which is workaholism. My point is that all 14 of these are bad. The seven capital sins are bad, and the seven op opposite extremes of each one of those is bad. So what do we need to do? We need to practice and strive for the seven capital virtues, which you can imagine as a center column between the two columns of the seven capital sins on the left and the opposite extremes that I just went through, uh, self-loathing, wastefulness, prudishness, etc., in a column on the far right. So the middle column, the third and middle column, are the seven capital virtues. And remember, via media, the middle road, that middle column, the middle road is where we are balanced. We don't, it, it, we don't tend to the two extremes of the seven capital sins on one side or their opposite extremes on the other, right? So what are the seven capital sins? Well, between pride and self-loathing, we have humility. St. Thomas defines humility as, quote, seeing your place and taking it. Seeing your place and taking it. Between greed and wastefulness, we have generosity. Between lust and prudishness, we have chastity. We're all called to chastity. Even married couples are called to chastity. There's things in marriage that are not permitted. For example, inviting a third-party member into the marriage covenant. Um, contraception is not permitted, okay? Pornography is not permitted within marriage, okay? Uh, so we're all called to chastity. Singles, marrieds, consecrated religious, the widow and widower, we're all called to chastity. Uh, the median virtue between anger and servility the two extremes of anger and servility are meekness or patience. Gl between gluttony and deficiency, we have temperance. Between envy and cowardice or timidity, we have kindness or brotherly love. And between sloth or acedia and workaholism, 
Between those two extremes, we have diligence, the virtue of diligence. You know, the person who's a real sloth has no problem with workaholism. And the person who's a true workaholic to the detrimental effects of his family um, has no problem with sloth because he's a workaholic. So whether sloth or workaholism, um, what uh, between sloth and workaholism, what are the two uh, or what is the main median virtue that you have to practice? Uh, you have to practice diligence. So we have the seven capital sins, the seven opposite extremes, both are bad precisely because they lead to extremes, but then we have the middle column of the seven capital virtues. By the way, that chart of those three columns can be found for your listeners, Adam, at fathersofmercy.com. Uh, at the homepage at the top, on the right-hand side of the homepage at the top, click on the magnifying glass icon, a search bar comes up, and in the search bar, just put in seven capital sins, seven capital sins, and it comes right up, this this three-column uh, uh sheet that they can print out on their home printer. I'm going to get ready to print that now. Father, you mentioned that as we grow in this, this great self-knowledge we might have to say, you know what, I can't do this. I'm going to switch phones. I'm going to take the candy jar off my desk if I've given up sweets for Lent. But I, I think of this, and especially of so many men that perhaps struggle with concupiscence, that that we see a beautiful woman walking down the street, and we want to view her in an ordered fashion, but so many of our men struggle with the mind going to lustful thoughts. We can't do with all of the women of the world what we would do with the phone and just put it away in a drawer. There are going to be women in the world, and it's not fair to say, well, you can never come out of your house, or I I can never look up from the sidewalk. We have to practice self-mastery, and if we're relying just on ourselves, Adam Wright saying the only person that's going to help Adam Wright grow in virtue is Adam right? I'm on the wrong path immediately because I have to start with our Lord. So one of the questions I did want to ask you is, how do we pray for that? How does our Lord assist us, especially that Jesus taught us when they said, how do we pray? Teach us to pray. In the Our Father, we pray, lead us not into temptation. Yeah, great, great question. We have to understand what that means, because as Pope Francis says, God does not lead anyone into temptation. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 2846, this is crucial, because when Pope Francis said this about a year and a half ago during 2019, in fact, the Italian Catholic Conference of Bishops have changed the wording in the Our Father for the Sacred Liturgy, the Holy Mass, and its celebration, um, to what I'm about to tell you. Uh, it was already discussed by Pope St. John Paul II in the Universal Catechism, which he signed off on and wrote in large part. And it's all right there in number 2846. And I really, really want to make this a homework assignment for our listeners this th- today on, on uh, your show. Look at 2846. It simply says this, this petition, lead us not into temptation, goes to the root of the preceding one, for our sins result from our consenting to temptation to them. We therefore ask our Heavenly Father not to lead us into temptation. Yet, it is difficult to translate the Greek verb lead used by a single English word. The Greek means both, quote, do not allow us to enter into temptation, Heavenly Father. And the Greek verb also means this, do not let us yield ourselves to temptation, Father, Heavenly Father. And then John Paul continues, he says, God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. Simply quoting the book of James chapter 1, verse 13. On the contrary, 
God wants to set us free from evil and temptation. So we ask him not to allow us to take the way ourselves that leads to sin. We are engaged in the battle between flesh and spirit, Scripture tells us, and so this petition implores the spirit of discernment and strength. So again, the phrase, lead us not into temptation, which sounds like we're asking the Father himself not to lead us into temptation, as if he would do that, which he never would do, is because the Greek verb for the word lead is difficult to translate into a single English word, but we can apply several English words to the one Greek verb of lead, and those English phrases would be, do not allow us to enter into temptation, Heavenly Father, or do not let us yield to temptation, dear Heavenly Father. Uh, in other words, we're, we're, we're asking our Heavenly Father to help we ourselves put the proper guards in front of our human selves to not be led into temptation. I immediately think of our three-year-old daughter as you say this. And my wife made a cake recently for an occasion. I forget what the occasion was. But I knew if we just let them run around the house unsupervised, the three-year-old's going to wind up in the kitchen and the cake is going to have holes in the icing and perhaps a piece missing just grabbed by her hand and taken away. So number one, don't just let her run around the house. But number two, when we needed to go into the kitchen, we didn't leave her alone in there. We went with her. We didn't take the cake away. We didn't hide the cake, but we said, you know, we're in here. We're going to have this cake later, but we're not going to touch it now. And we were teaching her to grow. And as the day went on, she kept saying, we can't eat the cake now, Daddy. We can't eat the cake now. And she was starting go. to comprehend. And it's perhaps an imperfect example, but it's something I, I think of when you explain that through uh, paragraph 28. 46. Lastly, Father, here, because we're running out of time, I'd like to ask about this reality. At a certain point, we give in. We, you know, I am not the Blessed Mother, and uh, I, I was not conceived immaculately, so I am going to, to sin. What do we do? I, I know it sounds simple to say we just go to confession, but we're going to be tempted. What do we do when we give in? Well, in regards to that, you want to be able to put up a fight. Remember, a mortal sin requires three things be present. Grave matter, fullness of knowledge, and done with deliberate consent of your will. Let's break each of those down really quickly. Grave matter, meaning what? Meaning that, it, that the action you're about to do or that you're contemplating about doing contravenes God's moral law, and seriously so, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. It goes against the Decalogue. Grave matter. Number two, fullness of knowledge. You have full knowledge in your intellect. So there's no, there's no uh, uh, non-intellect informed here. You know, you have knowledge that this seriously contravenes God's moral law. Full knowledge, huh? And then thirdly, you do it with deliberate consent of your will anyway. Full knowledge, grave, excuse me, grave matter, full knowledge, and done with deliberate consent of your will. If any one or two of those is missing, you have a venial sin, okay? So you want to be able to put up a fight so that you can say at the end, even if you did give into it, my will was not engaged. I, I fought against this and I fought against it strongly. But even if you did fall into it, it's still at least venial, okay? And I would make an act of contrition as soon as possible. And even though it was maybe done venially, although objectively a mortal sin, it was subjectively done venially because the third element was missing, fullness of will, precisely because you put up a fight. 
because it was grave matter and it could have easily have been a mortal sin, I would still take it to confession and share with the priest that you put up a good fight, but you still ended up giving into it. So although subjectively venial, it's still objectively mortal and you feel better confessing it, not for scrupulosity, but because you're seeking advice and counsel on how to overcome it, to put up an even stronger fight the next time, okay? But you know, the church's teaching on mortal sin is very curt, short, and to the point. Grave matter, fullness of knowledge, and deliberate consent of the will. Why is the church's teaching on those three elements of mortal sin so curt, short, and to the point? Because the, ch the church, being a good holy mother, the bride of Christ, holy mother church, wants to protect the soul from scruples and from scrupulosity, okay? That said, we don't want to become lax and say, oh, well, even though this action, uh, like pornography, let's say, is objectively always, always a mortal sin, when I did it that one time, it was uh, subjectively venial because I put up a fight against my will, and even though I ended up giving into it, that third element was missing, so it was subjectively venial. No, the, great, the greater sin here is the risk of thinking like that every single time you fall into pornography. That's the greater sin here. Thank God you did put up a fight. Praise God that this objectively mortal action that's always, always objectively mortal was maybe subjectively venial this time around, but you don't want to let your guard down because that becomes lax, that becomes slothful, and you can end up not overcoming the temptations in the future. And so you still want to take it to confession. You want to be honest and sincere with the confessor that, that you put up a good willful fight, but unfortunately you still fell into it. So grave matter, fullness of knowledge, and done with deliberate consent of the will. If all three are present, it's a mortal sin. If any one or two of those is absent, it's a venial sin. Father Wade Menezes, I want to thank you for taking the time to bring this clarity to our preparation for Lent and to know that we can be equipped to deal with temptation, but it's going to take self-knowledge, self-mastery. It's going to take prayer. I think of this, Father, that, you know, regular confession, and I try to go at least once a month, if not uh, once every three weeks, and that daily midday examine and daily examination of conscience have led to that self-knowledge to know, in most cases, at least more so than where I was 10 years ago, this is a bad idea. Stay away from it. Uh, and this is an area where, you know, just keep exercising that discipline. Avoid right, the pitfalls. It's, it, it's been such a great aid to do those two practices alone, the, the examinations and the regular confessions. I wonder, could you close our time together with a prayer? I certainly can, Adam. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our listeners at Covenant Radio. Help them to have a very blessed and fruitful Lent, to be faithful to their resolutions, both in the things they give up and the things they decide they decide to do for others for Lent as well, like to give acts of almsgiving to others. And may God prove their lives to be fruitful during this Lenten period, leading to a very grace-filled Easter. We ask all these good things through Christ our Lord, and during this year of St. Joseph, I like to invoke St. Joseph, terror of demons. Pray for us. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We will be back after this. A prayer for the gift of wisdom. Great is the wisdom of the Lord. God Almighty, your wisdom includes an understanding of what is fair, what is logical, what is true, what is right, and what is lasting. It mirrors your pure intellect. I entreat you to grant me such wisdom that my labors may reflect your insight. Your wisdom expands in your creations 
displaying complexity and multiplicity. Your wisdom is an eternity ahead of man. May your wisdom flourish forever. Amen. We are pleased to be speaking today with Archbishop Robert Carlson, the Archbishop Emeritus of the Archdiocese of St. Louis. So very good to speak with you today. Uh, Good to speak with you too, Adam, and uh, bless the Thanksgiving to all your listeners. Well, thank you very much. Archbishop, that's kind of the topic of the week for everyone right now, gratitude and Thanksgiving. But one of the areas that has really been on my prayer as I've been praying for our listeners, praying for friends, and family is this idea of everyone saying, oh, it's Thanksgiving, we need to be grateful, we need to be thankful. This has been a difficult year, not just because of the COVID for many people I know. Some have suffered the loss of a loved one or they've received a devastating medical diagnosis such as a cancer diagnosis. I have friends that have suffered a miscarriage. Um, Many are suffering from loneliness or isolation during this pandemic. The question that some people ask, where can we begin to look for gratitude if it seems we have very little to be thankful for? Adam, that's a, that's a very good question. Uh, first, let me say, though, that the one characteristic that all the saints had, whether they were martyrs or pastors or religious, is they all had uh, the gift of gratitude. And perhaps uh, the psalm that we pray in the Liturgy of the Hours says it best, Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Now, that's easy if you happen to be filled with gratitude at the moment. But what about the person Judas mentioned that's suffering, that uh, their soul isn't really feeling the love of Jesus Christ? And uh, I would say two things. Number one, uh, we have to ask the Lord each day to strengthen us in faith, to open our hearts to the power of His love. Because if we don't have Jesus' love in us, it's very, very difficult for us to love in return. And if there are tragedies, if there are problems, they're real, obviously. But we can't allow the devil to use those against us to draw us away from God. And one of the things I'll tell people in the confessional, which I think has been helpful over the years, go back to the Lord's Prayer. Remember, Jesus said, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven. And in that prayer, there's a number of things that we're asking for daily bread, for faith, for increase of faith, for the presence of God in our life, all those kinds of things that are included in that prayer. And uh, I believe that when we say that prayer, we open our soul to the power of the love of Jesus Christ, then uh, the, uh, the Lord can open us to the blessings uh, that we need to receive. Why? Well, especially in this time with the pandemic, so that we can deal with the adversity which is all around us. Uh, at the same time that uh, we can uh, continue to build relationships, even if we have to do it by what they call social distancing or over the telephone or some other way, and at the same time that uh, we can begin to pause and reflect on how God refreshes us, touches our life every single day, and uh, how He's inviting us to return that love to others. You know, in my life, I've met people who had something very, very special, and I was envious. What was it that they had? And what it was, of course, was the love of Christ in their hearts and in their lives, and they were becoming the face of Christ for me. So as First uh, Thessalonians says, uh, 
We have to give thanks. And why? Because that's the will of God for us. Uh, and so I would say in these challenging times, those are some of the thoughts, reflections I have on how we might deal with it. That, that's a wonderful reminder for us. One of the, the blessings I've had over the course of my life is that sometime in my early 20s, I was introduced to this great writing of, of Pope St. John Paul II, Salvifici Dolores, on the Christian meaning of human suffering. And then over the course of the next decade or two, working as a liturgical musician, had the opportunity to go to many, many funerals, as I'm sure you have in, in your life as a priest and then as bishop. And I think of that great reading we hear at so many funerals from Revelation, where it says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death or mourning, wailing or pain. And, and I think back to that, that document of St. John Paul II on the Christian meaning of, of human suffering. I wonder, um, thinking about Revelation and thinking about suffering and, and redemption, what is it that our faith can teach us about how we can take our earthly suffering and, and focus that in light of an eternal perspective. Well, Adam, let me share with you a, a very personal conversation I had with my father as he was dying. And, of course, uh, I, too, have been touched by the great uh, John Paul II and uh, the saint who taught us how to endure suffering. And I said to my dad, I said, you know, Dad, uh, the suffering is terrible. It's painful. I know that it's very difficult for you. But I'd like to invite you to do something that Pope John Paul taught us, and that is uh, to offer your suffering for someone or something, to offer it up for that. And my dad looked at me with that look that only a parent can uh, give you that's, you know, I brought your kid in, I think I'm going to take you out. But he paused, and something happened, something very, very deep happened to him. He said, all right, I have somebody in mind, I'm going to offer my suffering for that individual. He was powerful. And there was a peace that came over him. And uh, uh, I think of the, the words of Psalm uh, 103, where it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, Lord Jesus, redeem me. Uh, for your, your uh, kindness, your grace is steadfast, and your mercy is powerful. Give that to me so that uh, I can be renewed in the midst of the suffering. I can offer it for some good, and I can prepare for you to receive me into paradise. That's that's a very powerful story, and I want to thank you for sharing that with us. Archbishop, as we conclude, I wonder, as we approach this Thanksgiving holiday, what, what are you grateful for this year? Anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, jokingly, I tell everybody, they say, well, how's the retirement going? And I say, well, I really am joyful that I don't have a schedule I have to follow all the time. So obviously, and I'm just kidding, but Obviously, not having a schedule every day is, is something which is wonderful. Um, but really, it's given me a chance, uh, because of the time, to pause and reflect on 50 years of being a priest. Thanking God for the many blessings. Seeing God's forgiveness, if there's areas where um, I haven't done as much as I was called to do. Uh, asking the Lord to, to bless the people uh, who crossed the path of my life over the years and uh, help me to really become a better priest, to uh, thank God for the challenges which came my way so that I could grow. Um, and really, right now, to have the time to uh, reflectively and in a meditative way to pray the Liturgy of the Hours and to reflect on how the Lord has been with me 
um, how my guardian angel has been with me, uh, how God's grace has been with me over all this time, and to be able to spend time in this Thanksgiving week uh, giving thanks for all of that. That sounds like a wonderful way to spend your time and a great reason to be thankful. Could I ask you to close us with a prayer of thanksgiving? I'd be happy to. Lord Jesus Christ, you call us to be thankful. Open our hearts to the power of your faith. Gift us with the gift of your love. And in this week of Thanksgiving, we may share that love with others for all who cross the path of our life. If this is a Thanksgiving in which we'll be alone, give us the inspiration to call others and to express thankfulness to them for the way they touched our life. If in this Thanksgiving we find family distant, call them. Tell them how much we appreciate them and how they've helped us over the years. And Lord Jesus, in this Thanksgiving, may we also give thanks for uh, our leaders in the church, our leaders in government. Help them, Lord, to be the best that they can possibly be. And Lord Jesus, in this week in which we give thanks, fill our hearts with the gratitude which has touched the lives of all your saints. Help us to come a little bit closer to you and all that you desire for us. Amen. Amen. Archbishop Carlson, so great to hear from you, and thank you for spending the time with us this morning. Thank you, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody at Covenant Radio. And to you as well. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We'll be back right after this. Well, I hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. If you enjoyed this, be sure to hit like and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Don't forget you can find all of the latest information about Roadmap to Heaven and other great programming on Covenant Network Catholic Radio by visiting OurCatholicRadio.org. That's O-U-R CatholicRadio.org. Let's give thanks to God for the time together on this podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, pray for us. St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Pray your rosary today.